Thanks so much to our worship team. Can we give them a huge round of applause? Thanks, Chantel and the team for leading us out this morning. So good. My name's Lockie and I'm one of the pastors here at Central. If I haven't met you before, then hello. Great to see you. Great to have you here with us this morning. Um, we're in the middle of a series right now and this series is called, can anyone remember? We've got one person. Thanks, Tane. Ecclesia. Thank you, Tane. Anyone remember what Ecclesia means? We talked about this two weeks ago. Anyone remember what Ecclesia means? There's two words. What was that? What was that? I can't hear you. You got a called out. Thank you. Called out. Right. I was just trying to play a bit of a play on words there with calling out the words. We'll get there. Uh, called out, right? That's what the word ecclesia means. It means called out. And it's actually the word that is translated into church in the New Testament of the Bible. And what we're doing over this series is Pastor Mike and I, we're talking through what it means for the church to be called out, right? Because it implies there's a purpose behind it, that it's not called out for no reason, that there's called out for a purpose. And we started this series two weeks ago and I talked about the people of God and how mission or sharing God has always been in the DNA of God's people. Last week, Mike talked about the point of it all, right? The point of mission, the point of sharing is for people to know God. It's not so that we can form a massive social club here on the Gold Coast. The point of mission is for people to have a personal encounter with Jesus. And that's what we're all about here at Gold Coast Central. Mike shared our vision before. It is to draw our community into a loving relationship with Jesus. That's the point. That's the point behind everything. And I'm going to continue with uh, today's topic, which is who's hungry, which you've become pretty aware of, hopefully, by this point in the program. It's been talked about a lot. So part of what I get to do for my job, it's one of the favorite things I get to do for me, is called visitations or visits. And what I'll do is I'll like call up a family and say, hey, I'd love to come and visit you guys, have a chat, just talk about um, how you guys are going, if there's anything you're struggling with or need some prayer for, and just, just have an encouragement for them and, and have a chat with them. And um, about this time last year, I was visiting a family who attends this church. Um, their names are, are Colin and Mel Renfrew. You may know them. Uh, Colin is a pastor and he works uh, in the conference office here in South Queensland and he uh, is effectively one of the people that I call my bosses, right? Um, so it can be intimidating at times when I'm standing up here on stage and one of my bosses is, is, is here, but he's like amazing, he's a lovely man. Um, and, and the first time I went to visit them, usually what I'll ask is, is there anything I can bring, right? And they said, oh yeah, can you bring some soda water? I said, okay, no worries, I'll bring some soda water, pretty easy, Right? And so I went there, I, I tried to leave a few minutes early so that I'd get there, you know, just on time and, and we'd be all good. And I like to think of myself as a pretty safe and steady driver, but I won't lie, there are times when I take corners maybe a little bit faster than I should, not to the point of skidding, but just to the point where, let's just say it's enough for bottles to rattle around a little bit. And so I arrive and I, and I go to their place, grab these soda water bottles and hand them to Colin because he's going to go and pour the drinks for, for that day. And about 20 seconds into this visit, remember this is my first year of ministry, like very fresh to, to doing this, still learning, um, and it's effectively visiting my, my boss. Within about 20 seconds, no sooner had he twisted the lid on the soda water than had it completely covered him, the bench, the food on the bench and the floor around it. Um, and, it and it clicked that I probably should have driven in the slow lane all the way to church. But that wasn't the end, um, because we then I got, got to help clean up the mess, um, and we, we got into dinner, we, we grabbed the food, and I went to sit down, and as I sat down, like, I'm not a small guy, right? I'm aware of that, but I had never before this day broken a chair. So <laughs> I sat down, and I put my foot, and I go to sit down, and the chair just falls apart beneath me, and I'm there in like a squat position trying to hold myself up on this table, and Mel goes, oh, sorry, Lockie, sorry, that one's a bit rickety, and it sometimes falls apart, we just put it back together and try and sit on it at the right angle so that it doesn't 
break. Um, and that was my first visit with my boss. <laughs> but there's something really memorable about some meals, right? Maybe you've got some meals that stick out in your mind. Maybe there was a story that was shared or something that happened at that meal. The point of it is, though, that much of our life is built around meals. It's built around mealtime. And that's something that is the same for the ancient world, the world in which the Bible was written, uh, that we read about when we read it, that their world was built around mealtime. So let's pray and we'll get into today's message, hey? Father in heaven, I thank you that we can come together and read your word today. I pray you would rid me of myself, that you would give every single one of us receptive hearts to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there's a few things you need to know about mealtimes in the ancient world before we get into today's message. Mealtimes were a very significant part of life, not just because food is essential, but because it was a point where, where you would come together, where community would happen, where fellowship would happen. If you and I made an agreement, we would seal that agreement by sharing a meal together. Pastor Greg's already shared what, uh, that the verse that we, that we read in Revelation about Jesus and the significance of meals to him. Right? Meals were an essential part of society. And if you read through Scripture, you'll see like, there's a strict hierarchy as to how meals are supposed to take place. There's all these rules around it because it's a sacred space. It's not just to like, I'll grab fast food and like eat while I'm driving. No, like a mealtime was a sacred sit-down event. You would come together. It would be the key place where the family would fellowship. And it was also like a social and religious responsibility that if you had a visitor coming, you had to provide for them a meal. Right? That was a part of their life. That is how meals were held in society. They were, they were important. They were essential. And what we're going to discover today is the way that Jesus takes this essential part of, of their lives and transforms it and repurposes it for the people of God, for the Ecclesia. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open to Luke chapter 19. And here we're going to read the story about one particular meal. And this is the only place in the Bible where it's recorded, in Luke chapter 19. So if you're new to, to Christianity or to faith, Luke is, is one of uh, four books in the Bible called the Gospels. And that word gospel is a word that means good news. It's the good news about the life, ministry, and teachings of Jesus. And so if you were to read the book of Luke, what you would find is heaps of stories about Jesus, about who he is and what he did when he was on this earth. And so Luke chapter 19, 19 is the big letters, the verses of the small, sorry, the big numbers, uh, the verses of the small numbers. So we're going to go Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 1. Okay, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Let's read it together now. If you don't have it, it's on the, on the Bible here behind me as well. So Jesus entered Jericho, and he made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, as we're looking at this text through modern eyes, there are a few things we might miss. But Jericho was a, a very uh, prominent city in the ancient world because it was a border town. And that meant that everyone who traveled through it would have to pay a specific tax. So if you worked as a tax collector, it was very easy to become wealthy in this city, let alone being the chief tax collector. Now, if you were a religious person, 
more often than not, you would look down on someone like a tax collector because they made their life uh, more about money and about cheating people of their money than about what they thought life should have been about. So tax collectors were looked down upon by religious people. And so this man, Zacchaeus, not only was he looked down upon because he was a tax collector, he was also looked down upon because he was short, right? Um, if you were to, to, to look at you know, the studies and the tradition around this, most people think that he's under five feet tall. Okay, I'm just over six feet tall, so he's probably about here-ish, maybe, maybe a bit shorter. But imagine there's this really short man who's looked down upon by his whole community. And then you see something really interesting. Because he, he runs and he climbs. Now, if you are a self-respecting man in the ancient world, those are two things that you never do. You never run and you never climb, right? Those are things that kids do. And they might be great for kids, but if you're a self-respecting adult, you don't do those things. But what that tells me about Zacchaeus is that even though he's looked down upon, even though he might not be uh, the, the best, most pious person in his community, he's desperate to see Jesus to the point where he's willing to abandon his own dignity for the sake of just seeing this Jesus person. And that's something really important we're going to come back to in a moment. But let's keep reading. This is verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up and saw a small man sitting in a tree. He saw Zacchaeus and called him by name. I don't want you to miss this, right? Because so far as we understand, Jesus hadn't met Zacchaeus at this point in his ministry. But if you want to meet Jesus, if you want to see Jesus... You won't have to look too far because Jesus will come and find you. If you're interested in learning about God and discovering who God is, Jesus will find you. And what you will discover is that God isn't some distant, far-off being that governs the whole universe. No, He is a God who is close, who is near, who seeks out those who want to find Him. And so Jesus calls out to him. He says, Zacchaeus. And I imagine Zacchaeus sitting in the tree being like, now everyone knows I've climbed a tree, right? Everyone knows I've just completely undignified myself. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. So Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Jesus says, I must, I must eat in your house. Remember what we said about the significance of meals before? If you were kind of of the same social standing, that was who you would eat with. And Jesus being a rabbi, he should never have even come close to eating with a tax collector. Yet he says, I must eat in your house. You see, to Jesus, what the world says about you doesn't matter. But because Jesus doesn't see the tax collector, he doesn't see the the man that's looked down upon, the man who's short and might have been looked down upon because of that. No, who he sees is the one he created, Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, I must be a guest in your home today. I don't know how often Zacchaeus ate with people, but given his reaction, we can probably assume that it wasn't too often. But because he is excited and he is filled with joy. That's a natural response to encountering Jesus is that you're filled with excitement and joy because you've experienced your creator. Let's keep reading. But the people were displeased. Not everyone was happy that Jesus had gone to eat with a notorious sinner. They said, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. 
And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has showed himself to be a true son of Abraham. That final phrase is so significant because for his whole working career, it's likely that Zacchaeus would have been called at best a bad son of Abraham. A son of Abraham was a title given to someone who was a Jewish person, a part of the people of God, right? And Jesus says, you are a true son of Abraham. He gives him a new identity, a new way to approach life. Isn't it so interesting that while this is happening over the dinner table, the religious people, the followers of Jesus are outside complaining, complaining about the way Jesus is doing his ministry. I wonder what, what we would do if, if, if Jesus came into our church today and chose one person to have a meal with that maybe we thought wasn't the best Christian or wasn't the best person. Would we grumble? Would we be jealous? Would we be envious? Or would we be excited that this person is getting to experience Jesus? See, for Zacchaeus, Jesus' presence with him was transformative. And you see that in his response here. Because all of a sudden, he goes from being someone who took from other people to being someone who would give. And not just give, but give in a profoundly generous way. Being with Jesus transformed Zacchaeus' heart. And then we come to the final verse, which is my favorite verse of this passage, where Luke, who's the author of this book, makes his summary. And he says this, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Bit of a slap in the face to the religious people, hey? Sometimes we think that uh, God only wants to do stuff for us, right? That Jesus is just for us as Christians. Um, but, but Luke's summation of this story is that Jesus came to save those who were lost. And while we might have that perspective sometimes, I think if we reflect back on it, we will realize that there was one point in our own journey when we were lost as well. And maybe there are people that you work with or go to school with or play sport with or are part of a social club with or you're friends with on Facebook or you follow on Instagram who are lost. Jesus came for those people just as much as he came for you. And my prayer is that we would grasp this and that we'd be so excited and so passionate about helping them to discover Jesus that it would change the way that we live our lives. That it would do something on the inside of us like it did for Zacchaeus. That experiencing Jesus would change the way we live our lives. See, for those who are lost, the presence of Jesus is transformative. Right? For, for those who are lost, the presence of Jesus isn't, isn't just some, some random thing that they experience. No, it's something that actually cuts into their soul and it, and it convicts them. It changes them. And how else can we help people get to know Jesus than by living out the way that Jesus lived his own life? The early church understood this. And, and, and what we discovered before and we're going to rediscover now is that they tried to model their lifestyle off the way that Jesus lived his. That's what our theme as a church this year is all about. Our theme is walking the way, right? The way is another title given to the early church. And so if we're walking the way, the way obviously ultimately is Jesus, right? That we're, we're trying to live our lives that re in a way that reflects the rhythms and the patterns with which Jesus lived his life. And we see that played out in a, in a group setting, right? So if you're wondering, okay, this is cool. Like we see Jesus having a meal with some guy and, and it changes him. 
But what does that mean for me? If you're asking that question right now, then we'll read this passage. This passage is from Acts chapter 2, and it's verse 42 and then 46 and 47. And we get a really cool picture here of what the early church looked like. If you've been in church long enough, you've probably heard someone at some point say, we need to go back and be like the early church, right? Because these guys were growing by the number daily. They were expanding in in number daily. And this here, we get a beautiful insight into how they lived out their faith in Jesus. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 46 to 47 says, All the believers, not just the pastors, not just the leaders, not just the regular attenders, not just the visitors, all the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and generosity. Those are two of the characteristics that define Zacchaeus' meal with Jesus, right? Joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I don't know about how you came to, uh, to discover Jesus or discover this church or, or how you found your way in here today. For a lot of people, um, the, the way that they came to know Jesus is through learning about him uh, through a conversation or, f- or from a seminar or, or through a, a friend, through a specific relationship maybe. I wonder as, as we reflect on this passage and we look at the way the Lord added to their fellowship, how closely does your life reflect the lives of the early church there? I know for me, I don't come to the temple or to, to this building every day. Right? And I work here. I don't come here every day. I don't share meals with people every day with great joy and generosity. I probably don't pray as much as I should. Where do you find yourself in relation to this text? I don't want you to, to feel bad or down about it. I hope that it can be an encouragement and an inspiration to you. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. They write, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So the author of Hebrews brings another element into it. He says, Jesus is coming back soon. So make sure to meet together regularly. Make that a priority in your life. And in the ancient world, meeting essentially implies eating, right? That when you come together, you're sharing a meal, you're experiencing community, you're doing life together. You know, this this is something that was relevant 2,000 years ago. And we are now 2,000 years closer to the return of Jesus. In fact, this church is Gold Coast Central Seventh-day Adventist Church. That word Adventist comes from the word Advent, which means coming. And it refers to the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Right? That he's coming soon to, to rid the world of sin, to take us to be in eternity with him. And that day is 2,000 years closer than when this text was written. So the author of Hebrews says, don't neglect it because Jesus is coming soon. How much more should we take seriously this message? Mate, this is an exciting message. We get to eat regularly with people. Amen? Like we get to go into people's homes. We get to invite them to our home and share food with them. And when we think about the ecclesia, the people of God, the church, us today, right here, right now, the primary way that Jesus gives us to share who he is with the world isn't from the pulpit. It's not a knocking at a door. It's not through a pamphlet. As great as those things are, it's over the dinner table. Don't miss this, right? It's, it's, not, it's not me on stage. God could use me, right? And at times he does. It's not always going to be through the pamphlet I give to someone. 
the way that Jesus does his ministry is over the dinner table. In fact, it's a theme in the book of Luke. If you were to go through the book of Luke and look at the way that Jesus does his ministry, more often than not, his miracles, his stories, his teachings are done in the context of a meal. You think of feeding the 5,000 or the wedding at Cana. Think about maybe when, when Jesus is, is eating with a disciple. Think about the book of John where he has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus over a meal. Think of the story of Zacchaeus where people come to experience him over the dinner table. We are invited into that same rhythm of life, that same pattern of life. I don't know about you, church, but that's really exciting and relieving for me because I love to eat food and I love being with people. And what about if I brought Jesus into that and made that a part of the way that I ate food and and interacted with people, right? I have a story I want to share before we wrap up today's message. And this story is about, it happened about three years ago. And at the time, I was working as a youth pastor at a church around college where I studied. And one of the things I really wanted to do was to run a life group, okay? So on a Tuesday night, I would run a life group at my home. And the church gave me a bit of a budget because I was a student at the time. And what I would do is I would prepare a meal and we would like come together, share it, chat about our weeks, talk about our lives. And then we would do a bit of a Bible study, a bit of Bible reading and just discuss, you know, what, what we were getting out of the text, what we thought God was saying to us. And it wasn't hard to get people along because there was food involved, right? And so college students would always come because they're like, yes, food that's not calf food, great, I'll be there. Wasn't the best food all the time, but they would be there, right? And so we'd have, you know, maybe 10 to 12 people each week. And there was one girl who, after um, a couple of months of this life group running, she moved from Germany to Australia. And she was working as an au pair or a nanny for a family that attended my church. And so one of the other girls that came to the life group said, hey, why don't you come Tuesdays, Lockie's Place, where you just have a meal together, read the Bible a bit. And this girl had like no background in faith at all, right? She didn't know Jesus. She, she didn't have a personal relationship. She hadn't really been to church that much. But she thought, you know what, I don't know anyone in this country, so why not? I'll come along. There's food involved. I'll be there. So she came. And the first week she was there, she introduced herself. Her name was Julia. Still is Julia as well. Um, and she was... She, she came and she shared a meal with us, right? She, she had haystacks for the first time. We got to teach her about that. We, we then went into some Bible reading. And for about the first month, she would come. And the, the kind of pattern would be that she would eat and be all talkative. And then we'd start reading the Bible. And it was like a zip went over her lips and she wouldn't say anything. And I thought, man, she's not getting anything out of this at all. She doesn't want to be here. Like, she's met us now. That's kind of the purpose of it. She's not going to come back. But she kept coming. She kept coming because she experienced community there. Like, like Greg said before, when you eat, it opens your mouth, right? And eventually, after a, a, few, a couple of months, she started to ask some questions. She asked about the numbers in the Bible. She said, what are they, right? That's why sometimes when I preach, I'll talk about the big numbers and the little numbers because there are people that don't know what they mean. Um, she asked about the books of the Bible, about how it was written, about if it was from God, what that meant. And, and we just started having these conversations. And, and over time, she started to engage in these discussions, and it came to a point where I just pulled her aside one week and I said, hey, Julia, like, you and God, like, where do you find yourself right now? Do you think you believe in God? Like, where are you at? She says, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believed in God from, like, a month in. And I was like, hang on. Like, by sharing meals with this girl and having conversations as a group, she's actually starting to follow Jesus. Fast forward a couple of weeks and she pulled me aside this time and said, hey, Lockie, I think I want to get baptized. I was like, What? How did she find out about baptism? We didn't even talk about that. Turns out she'd been having conversations and Bible studies in her own time outside of life group. 
and then had spoken with me and one of the pastors at College Church and asked for baptism. Incredible. She wanted to give her heart to Jesus and declare that publicly. Fast forward another couple of weeks. This was a couple of months before she would move back to Germany. And she was baptized in College Church. She asked me and this other pastor to baptize her. And I remember thinking, like, this whole pastoring thing, like, aren't I supposed to, like, go out and, like, find the people and convince them that baptism, like, isn't it all about me and what I do for other people? This was one of the most humbling experiences of my life because God pointed something out to me and said, hey, this is about me meeting people, not you meeting people. You simply making your dinner table available to her to come along is enough for me to start working. Because in her conversations with you and the group, in that Bible reading time, she's going to discover me. It's not going to be about how good you are or how much you can share. or you know, It's not about the Bible study you can give. It's about me and her and me experiencing her. And this is a, a, a clear as day example of the power of the dinner table. Because she would come and she would eat. We would talk. We would do life together. And she gave her heart to Jesus. Julia is just one story of many I could share from that life group because it was incredible. And I look at, at that and like the one constant that was always there was food, right? We didn't always do a Bible study every week. We always talked about Jesus. We always prayed for each other. Um, but it changed week to week. The one con- constant was that there was food. And as I reflect on that, I think, man, how does following Jesus affect my eating patterns today? Like how, do, how does following Jesus change the way I think about my meals each week? When I do my meal plan on a, on a Sunday and I write down all the ingredients I need to buy for the week, how regularly am I, am I feeding other people? Am I inviting other people into my home? You know, how often do I make my dinner table available to others to come? Right? And it doesn't have to be with an agenda. It doesn't have to be I'm inviting them over so that they come to be a follower of Jesus. Right? It doesn't have to be that. All it can be is, hey, I want to invite them over and help them to experience love and to experience meaningful community and to have a, a really great meal. Right? How does following Jesus change my eating patterns? How will it change yours? Maybe there's someone in your life you want to invite over for a meal this week. Maybe there's a family that you've connected with and thought, you know, it'd be so good just to share a meal with them, just to have them over, enjoy each other's company, get to know them a bit better. Who knows? Maybe down the track, that relationship will grow into something incredible and you guys will be able to, you know, make great friends out of it. Maybe they don't know Jesus yet. And maybe they'll come to know Jesus by building a relationship with you because they see Jesus in you. So who might I invite over for a meal? Maybe there's someone coming to mind. Maybe there's a group or a family coming to mind. What we've got is these things called open home invites. And this is an initiative that was launched by the Australian Union. um, And we've got all these little invites here, okay? So we've got a bunch at the back. And if you want to get one of these invites, it's basically just a thing you can put your name and someone else's name in that. If you want to grab one of these or a few of these, I want to invite you just to put your hand up now and write the names of these people on that invitation. Okay, so I've got a few people that have these. If you want to, put your hand up. We're going to bring them around. Maybe there's someone. We've got one at the front, one at the back here. Maybe there's someone. Maybe they're a neighbor. Maybe they're a friend. Maybe they're a family member. Who is it that you want to invite over? It doesn't have to be this week. We've got one over here, guys. Who is it that you want to invite over to share a meal with you? When we're talking about walking the way of Jesus and we're talking about walking the way of missional community, which is what this series is all about, this is the primary way that Jesus gives us to do that, to be missional with our lives. 
is to share a meal with people. There's a couple more hands going up around the place. We'll give it a few more moments. So if you want to, now's your chance. Put your hand up. Maybe you don't have a house to share a meal with someone with. Maybe you want to meet them somewhere for a meal. Right? That counts as well. Share a meal with someone at a cafe or a restaurant. Share a hot drink somewhere. We've got another hand over here, another one in the middle. Just cut your hands up. People are coming around and we'll get those to you now. One, a couple in the middle here, guys. Who is it that God wants you to invite over for a meal? I know for me, I play volleyball during the week and there's a couple of guys that I've become friends with through that and I want to invite them over for a meal. That's a bit scary, a bit daunting because um, our lives are quite different. We have the common thing of volleyball, but it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. But they're people I want to invite over for a meal. Maybe there's a neighbour. Maybe there's someone from school. Kids, maybe you've got a friend at school that you want to invite over for a meal. There's going to be plenty more of these forms out in the foyer as well. So if you didn't grab one now, that's all good. There'll be plenty out there on the welcome desk where Trudy is. So you're welcome to grab one there. But as you've got those forms, if you've got a pen, feel free to write that name on there now. Or just bring that person to mind. Because I'm going to close in a prayer now. And we're going to pray over these people. We're going to pray over these meals that are going to be had. We're effectively saying grace in advance. So when you pray on the day, you get a double grace. Awesome. But just bring those people to mind now. Bring those families or those, those individuals to mind as I pray. And we're going to ask that God would take these meals and make them something more. Not just food that is shared, but maybe a catalyst for something more that Jesus will do in their life. So would you join me now as I pray? Father, I thank you for the gift of food for the opportunity that we have to be a blessing to others, to share a meal with them. Lord, I want to pray over every person that's being brought to mind now, maybe every family, every group, every individual that's being brought to mind. And I pray that these invitations might not fall on deaf ears, but that in the same way as Zacchaeus responded to your request for a meal with him, that these people, when they receive this invitation, might be filled with joy and excitement about the prospect of sharing a meal with us. Lord, we want them to experience meaningful community. We want them to experience love, to experience hospitality. And ultimately, we want them to experience you. So Lord, we pray over our meals over the next week. And I ask that they wouldn't just be meals, but that they would be catalysts, that they would be moments, that they would be opportunities for you to work in a powerful way. And so, Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness of this church to follow you, to walk the way of Jesus as they eat, as they share in the week ahead. Lord, we ask you to continue to move outside these walls as you have been. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.